This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Iowa farmer Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on over 300 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NCGA President Kevin Ross, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's crop insurance industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Kevin Ross represents the sixth generation of his family to farm the same soil in southwest Iowa. He's looking forward to see that his children have the same opportunity. Ross is optimistic that he and the nation's corn farmers can meet the challenges presented by a growing global population for food, for fiber, and fuel. But he admits there is anxiety in the challenges of the day. Well, I think in general the corn farmer is a little bit anxious. I'm certainly anxious to get moving on the harvest, but continue to be anxious about the health of their marketplace. You know, there's um, just lots of uncertainty out there, and so uh, anytime you have those, you know, these factors that are all kind of in play and a lot of different things that are up in the air, uh, you have a lot of people that, uh, you know, have a have significant businesses to worry about and um, and families to feed. So. Uh, they're, they're looking at a lot of different factors and how they move their business forward. Some of the opinion surveys that have been done suggest that farmers are truly concerned about the future and what that means. If you talk to some of the creditors and their overall report of the ag industry, they suggest that, yes, we have burned through capital, but yet the balance sheet is still strong overall. What can you talk about the overall and how do you see some of the specifics that are, are real concerns right now? Yeah, I think, uh, as you say, the overall aspect, uh, you know the health of the economy in ag is still still very good, but uh, as you mentioned, cash um, cash has been burned through. Some equity has uh, has been burned through, and um, it certainly changes the position of a lot of people and how they you know view future growth and how quickly they can can capitalize on on opportunities. So uh, those things are um, just you know different for every farmer, different for every uh, you know for every business that uh, uh, is out there in in agriculture and every everybody how they work within their own constraints. But uh, I guess I'd say that there are certainly positive things moving forward, Jeff. You know, I think when we see a few of these dominoes fall, uh, whether it becomes some of these trade agreements or uh, the movement on the SRE issue, and hopefully we can see some health back into the markets place and this uncertainty, and then that'll transfer down to the farmer level. Kevin, why is USMCA so important to corn farmers? <laughs> Just huge markets. Uh, huge markets when you've got... Uh, Mexico and Canada is, is two of our biggest trading partners when it comes to not just the grains, but the meat side of things. And, and those are, you know, key pieces for indirect trade. But you really want to have, I think, from a, from a security standpoint, from a market certainty standpoint, these two other countries, 
closely tied to the U.S. markets. And USMCA in general is just just hugely important because they're such big markets for U.S. crops. It was corn growers through your own association and through the U.S. Greens Council spent a long time developing a relationship with Mexico. And when the president talked about pulling out of NAFTA, it sent some shockwaves through uh, a country that largely has depended on U.S. corn. Do you think those relationships have been damaged? And do you think the market share that you once had you can maintain? You know, to an extent, uh, it, it certainly did cause some ripple effect through, you know, through the Mexican government, I guess you'd say, uh, and through that market there right away when that was announced. But the fact is, it's going to come down to price. You know, we're going to be a reliable supplier or with a supply there indefinitely, probably. So, um, you would think that, that really those factors, they, they clearly already know we've been reliable suppliers for a long time. And I think just in general that when it comes down to price and our advantages through, you know, through the logistics side of it to Mexico, um, I got to think that that'll win out in the end. So hopefully these, these relationships, you know, we can get them back on track. It certainly uh, made them look at different options. But, um, you know, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And we just need to make sure that uh, we, we're rebuilding that and uh, uh, continuing to work with those folks in Mexico. Kevin, does it seem reasonable to pause long enough to allow for democratic demands or concerns about the U.S. Uh, MCA to be met? <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a really good question, Jeff. I think, I think in general, uh, the agreement is, is pretty well in place, uh, and is what it is, and I just like to see it move forward. I mean, we don't, I don't have a, a lot of comments on, on some of these other demands that they're talking about. Um, you know, a lot of those are not corn related, and so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, moving this forward is is uh, a corn concern, and, and we need to make sure that that market's stabilized. Still, if you can make sure that it's a bipartisan uh, trade agreement and that it gets done this year, maybe for the best? Yeah, no question. No question. We'd like it to be bipartisan. We'd like to see this thing with a lot of support through Congress, and I think it'll have that. I think there's certainly enough in it that both sides should be able to get behind this thing, and, and clearly nothing, no agreement is going to be perfect. You know, there's going to be... Uh, sides to each of this thing that you know that mexico is going to be a little happier on and canada is going to be a little happier on but for the most part when you get to an agreement standpoint which they already have on almost all these issues you know it's time to move this thing forward to make sure that make sure this like i said gets done and, and that the certainty is back in our marketplace and ag and that's that's really what i care about and i think uh the other issues are going to need sorted out but we got to get bipartisan support to move it forward we know that and it's not going to go without it so hopefully um hopefully these issues can can uh, be addressed quickly and then and move on. Kevin, in this week ahead, the U.S. and China are set to begin talks again face-to-face. China's a top customer for soy. Uh, is it important market for corn or more for corn uh, products made from corn? You know, it's, it's definitely a, a market that we care about, but most of that is, you know, on the co-product side or on the products made from corn side. Um, they have not been a huge importer of the raw corn grain going in there. So we think it's potentially a very, very, very large market for ethanol. Um, so that's, that's definitely a piece that we look at when it comes to China. And they've been a buyer of dry distillers grains for a long time. So those are the, you know, the key markets, I think, going into the, the, the Chinese side of things. But they have from time to time bought corn, but typically not a very large market for us there. So, you know, it's all about the co-products and how we move, you know, move 
those products and process them here internally and ship them out. Still, at the same time, that raises all boats. And when you saw ethanol demand from China, the potential that's there, the dried distilled grains with solubles and the opportunity to grow into that market. And suddenly, through a sanitary or phytosanitary or just a change in the direction of the wind, you lose those markets for co-products. That affects corn farmers, too. Oh, for sure. There's no question. Uh, you know, any time that uh, we have a trade agreement or a partner that is buying uh, these uh, these other products made from corn, yeah, it definitely has an effect. And so it's just been one of those other pieces that has uh, felt like it's kind of, you know, piled on, if you will, in an already down economy. But uh, I'm real positive about how, you know, we're going to move things forward here soon. I think with, uh, you know, with not, not only um, China, but like getting MC, USMCA done and then turn around, we've got the Japan agreement getting signed soon. Things are moving forward, I think, in some of these, you know, in some of these trade agreements and hopefully it puts pressure on some of these other markets so we can, you know, move into these bilaterals and other places as well. So Japan was the crown jewel of the Trans-Pacific Partnership and staying with that deal, we would have gained access to the Japanese market even better than we have now. Japan wants a top buyer for corn. Is this a big deal for corn or a big deal, a bigger deal for the industries that you support like livestock? It's both. I mean, the fact is Japan is, is such a high-value market for beef and pork, some poultry market as well, but the beef and pork markets in Japan are really the key ones, and we feed a lot of corn through, you know, through those uh, cattle and hogs that end up shipped over there. So you look at just, just that market alone, and that's vitally important for us to make sure that those uh, our friends in those industries have access to the Japanese market. Sep- secondarily, you know, uh, Japan is the number two buyer of corn, and if you look at that market uh, as well, yeah, this is an agreement that we can be really happy with. We can make sure that we're moving forward in those other countries then, hopefully putting pressure on them after this piece of our trading you know, issue in general and our, uh, sealing up one of our trading partners you know, to a new agreement. Hopefully that puts pressure on these other countries as well. Kevin, I'm going to tell my age here just a little bit, but I recall hearing then-Secretary of Agriculture Earl Butts telling producers to tear out the fence rows we're going to produce for the world. We still maintained a supply control farm bill through that period of time, and in the mid-90s we shifted to, instead of a supply control, to a market-based, risk-based farm policy. You've seen that, and we've seen agriculture flourish and also be challenged by that. Is it frustrating to have the production machine ready to turn and to to grow into production and satisfy global markets and then see these trade uh, these trade relationships go south and, and you suffer as a result? Well, that's, I think, the unpredictability of it for sure. And that's, um, it is frustrating to see that when, uh, when, as you said earlier, uh, farmers have built a lot of these markets with their own, uh, you know, their own export dollars that, uh, have been put in through programs and worked, worked overseas to build relationships. So I think there's a frustration level there that, uh, when outside factors come in and, uh, quickly change the direction of a marketplace, um, definitely, you know, definitely interesting, uh, and in how we, how we deal with those issues, but uh, I can tell you that when I started farming, you know, <laughs> we were still in the LDP times too, and and I don't think there's very many farmers, if any, out there that want to go back to those days. So uh, definitely producing for the marketplace is is a much better uh, much much better scenario than we had before, and I think you know if we can continue to do that, um, farmers will, will continue to adjust and how we you know how we grow our crops and how we. Uh, market our crops and and which crops we raise so the marketplace will dictate that and sometimes we just need to be a little more agile on our own farms 
Kevin, one more question on policy before we move to renewable fuel, which is obviously the hot topic after last Friday. Uh, I look to the challenges that uh, corn growers and others have experienced from weather, from trade, uh, from so many different circumstances that have gone on. Where would you be now from a crop producer standpoint without the MFP payments that came last year and are still in line for this year for the 18 Farm Bill and for the crop insurance uh, and risk management tools that this Congress has uh, has provided you. Well, without the uh, you know without these other tools that are out there, um, certainly crop insurance is the biggest one. I think that uh, that in general, in a year like this, where you've seen so many flooding issues and other um, other problems with the production side of things, uh, crop insurance is just vitally important. We all know that. I think there's uh, it's been shown. You know, for many years now that that program has really stabilized a lot of our economy in, in, in agriculture. But, uh, these other programs as well, um, you know, you talk about the MFP payments and, uh, ARC and PLC and things like that. You know, these are all tools that we've got to, to hopefully keep financial health in our, you know, in, in farm community and in agriculture. And right now, uh, with the challenges that we faced, you know, every one of these pieces is, is a vital tool for the, the grower out there. I think um, I think the government has recognized that and, and placing some of these MFP payments out there and certainly are working hard to to recognize some of the issues that are there and immediate you know and this is one type of a, a response to that. Uh, so we thank them you know for for that type of a recognition. But um, fact is, it still doesn't make people whole. It doesn't end up you know saving I guess if you will the uh, uh, the problems that have been um, put at our feet. So we've got to continue to work through them. We've got to uh, hopefully, you know, continue to push the administration to move forward on these trade agreements so we can get past these, uh, uh, these type of payments and actually into the open market system again. Kevin, in a corn grower generation before you, I recall them using their own dollars and still your own dollars today to develop the, the gasohol industry as it was called back then. Uh, you have seen ethanol blend struggle to get to 10% now finally to be able to sell, uh, 15%. You've seen over the past couple of years ethanol demand down. You've seen the corn grind down, but the uh, the gasoline demand in the country to stay relatively constant. There have clearly been some victories, but also some frustrations. Given last Friday's announcement from the uh, administration, how do you feel about the direction forward? Well, I certainly feel like uh, we've made a, a very big step Friday in, in the uh, future integrity of the RFS, and hopefully, you know, it, it you didn't see an immediate impact to the uh, to corn price, which uh, until they go through the rulemaking process and things like that, um, I think it's going to be you know gradual. But what you should see um, is some stability within the ethanol market in, in general uh, start to come back, and that's something that we really really need as corn farmers. Um, I think uh, you know I think within that discussion, uh, you saw a lot of people you know, recognize and, and really re-engage on, on the issue of renewable fuels. And so as a side note to it, you know, with, with the frustrations, I think we did gain a lot of people, uh, their opinions have changed and certainly got more vocal on the topic as well. So hopefully that's good for long-term demand for us and long-term sentiment within the public. Um, but I guess I can just tell you that I think Friday's announcement it was was a step in the right direction for sure. And, and I think uh, farmers should be should be pleased and hopefully we can move forward, uh, you know, with this administration and, and getting the next policy in place for uh, growth of renewable fuels. 
a couple of thoughts first on the positives and then maybe still yet some of the challenges. Uh, it is said by our Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, that now the administration of the RFS, 15 billion gallons, will mean 15 billion gallons. And Senator Grassley says he'll hold the EPA's feet to the fire. Well, we certainly hope so. And I, you know, I, I take Senator Grassley at his word for sure. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't usually say something he doesn't mean. So, you know, when the administration comes out and with that, uh, with that line in the sand saying 15 billion gallons, uh, is the number and higher, that's what we certainly want to hear. You know, that's why I want to, want to engage with them on this rulemaking process and make sure we get, um, you know, get exactly what, uh, what we were looking for within that. So I'm confident that, um, you know, the, that the folks that we've got working for us at NCGA and within the, uh, the biofuels industries, you know, there are going to be people there working every day to make sure this happens, as well as our uh, Midwestern senators and congressmen are, are going to be monitoring the situation. So my folks at NCGA are going to be uh, watching this very closely, including myself. Well, you still lost 4 billion gallons of ethanol demand and about a billion bushels plus of corn demand to grind for those lost uh, gallons. The EPA, the USDA suggest they'll start to use a rolling average as they continue to offer SRE exemptions. Thoughts? The, the rolling average is a uh, step in the right direction for sure because they, you know, they were not accounting for these at all, and that's the uh, the four billion gallons you speak of. So, um, yeah, we might not have gotten all those gallons back, um, or it doesn't appear that that those will all be back. But certainly, uh, going forward, stabilization in the marketplace. You know, a, a confident market of that 15 billion gallon number certainly will help uh, stabilize the market. Two other items included in the commentary Friday, a fix to E15 labeling and a search for some additional funding for infrastructure. Positives? Definitely. And there's no question that uh, infrastructure is has been limiting for us when it comes to these higher blends. Um, so hopefully we can uh, utilize this money as they did a few years ago when there was a, a large pool of money at USDA that was sent out to do the same thing. And this will be a slightly different program, I'm sure, but uh, the effects should be the same, where we can quickly get more infrastructure in place to, to sell higher blends. And then it gets to the consumer. The consumer will go, um, it's been shown, you know, the consumer is going to go for that uh, cheaper price, higher octane, cleaner air, you know, fuel out there. And so if we get the infrastructure there and, and those dollars moving, uh, and hopefully the quicker we can build that marketplace out. I'm not saying it's negatives, but we would say perhaps the gray area. This is still about a future rulemaking process. The rent values are still up for debate. The SREs are still granted, but apparently that process not transparent. It was House Ag Chairman Colin Peterson says, absence of those facts, he sees it as another IOU for struggling farmers. Thoughts? Well, you know, I think until we get through this rulemaking, I think that's a, a tough point to make for sure yet, but there's definitely questions yet to be answered. There was definitely some ambiguity within this discussion, but overall, I think it's a win moving forward. And, uh, you know, you kind of got to look at it through that lens, but we're not going to stop fighting. And I think everybody knows that, you know, National Corn's looking out for the best interest of, you know, of this industry, whether it's ethanol and or the other partners that we work with. But certainly in this case, you know, I think we got to look forward and we got to make sure that we are still vigilant when it comes to these other issues that are open-ended. And if we do that, and if we actually get some positive responses within those, then yeah, you can call it, uh, uh, call it a very big win at that point. But, um, right now we're, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic, I guess I'd say about, uh, about what all we've heard and we've seen 
Um, but we're going to continue to work on the issue. Kevin, uh, an opportunity to comment here. Some might suggest that the RFS is really a side issue compared to the biggest issue, that of low carbon and high octane fuel. You know, the, the RFS is the baseline, I guess, that we need to have in that market access area for our products. So clearly we want to get to higher blends. We want to get to uh, higher octane standards. Um, and that should, you know, with ethanol being the, the cheapest source of octane, that should, in theory, come from corn farmers and continue to drive the marketplace for corn. So hopefully we can move in that direction. We're going to continue to work hard in that area. We believe the higher octane fuels, again, not only is a, a driver for the ag economy, but certainly is the right thing to do for the American consumer. So um, if we look down in the future, a, a few years down the road, hopefully that's the uh, type of marketplace we're working in for fuels. Well, you being from Iowa, you're fully aware that there's a race for the White House. You've seen a lot of faces that would like to have the keys to Pennsylvania Avenue. Kevin, just from a broader question, but a target toward this election, is the RFS, is renewable fuel a campaign issue for 2020? 100% sure. It, there's no question it's a campaign issue. And, uh, you know, any time that these candidates are here, you know, cruising around our state, that's what we need people going out there talking about. We need them talking about rural America. We need them talking about uh, the jobs here in Iowa that are affected by agriculture. And I'm 100% certain that, that uh, every stop that those people are making, you know, they're hearing those things, they're hearing from farmers, they're hearing from uh, other people, as I said, that are employed by these industries and, and uh, the ones that are so important to this state, but not only here, just all across the Midwest. Kevin, you have been a part of the leadership process of National Corn Growers for a number of years and just recently assumed the reins and the lead as the president of the group. Lots of issues going on as we close today and you have the final word. What about thoughts of of the industry and thoughts of your goals of your your time and tenure as president of NCGA? Yeah, Jeff, uh, I appreciate a couple minutes here, and I guess I'd just like to say that as we move forward into into this year, you know, it's my privilege to represent growers and a lot of different issues and in DC and across the U.S. and other places. But I can tell them that you know we're working on demand, and uh, demand is is paramount to what we're working every day on to make sure that they've got opportunities to market their crops and demanding more of, of our legislators, of ourselves, of our industry in general, and, and trying to get more engaged. So um, we've been, you know, I mean, our job is being engaged in D.C. as well as on plenty of other issues across the U.S., but we can do better. We're going to try to work harder, and we're going to continue to uh, engage our, our board and, and uh, the other farmers out there that are members and other people that, you know, need to be influenced on, on our issues. So... Uh, we're going to demand more of ourselves. We're going to get results. And, um, you know, that's uh, that's the biggest key that, that I want to see uh, moving forward. So hopefully that translates into good things for corn farmers. Our thanks to Iowa's Kevin Ross, president of the National Corn Growers Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.